All right, howdy Aldergrove, how's it going? Everyone doing all right? Okay, my name is Matthew. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors uh, in our larger kind of North Langley Community Church family. And, uh, uh, I, you know, Kevin uh, invited me to be here today, so I'm really glad to be with you. And um, for, for, for all of you, um, well, actually, this is for all of you. I was going to say for all of you who have been here for a year, but actually for all of you, happy birthday. Uh, one year of your, of your campus, and I know you've been celebrating the last couple of weeks, so it's just wonderful to see God's faithfulness. I love it. And um, also, I just want to thank this incredible team here at Aldergrove, and to Kevin, uh, to John, to Matthew, and Amelia, and Marie, and Lainey, and uh, Jordan Gertz, uh, your elder here at this campus. Um, can we just thank them uh, for just the wonderful uh, job they're doing? They're all amazing, and I get to work with them throughout the week, like, you know, Monday to Thursday, so it's just, they're just such good people, and I feel like the leadership team here at the church is just filled with great people. Um, so, and if you are new to Jesus, I want to welcome you. I'll say a couple words to you throughout this message, but um, we are starting a new sermon series, and so uh, this will be a very um, new, uh, maybe data, information, knowledge to grapple with if you are new to Jesus, but even for all of you who have been following Jesus for a while, this series, um, I hope, will be encouraging, uh, uh, and I feel, and I hope this series will be filled with joy. Uh, filled with hope for, for, for everyone who, who is coming. And so I want to begin with this, these words from 1 John 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I want to welcome you to six weeks uh, in a series called Deliver Us, Life in the Victory of Jesus. Six weeks on the spiritual battle that is real, six weeks on the world, the flesh, and the devil, six weeks on experiencing the victory, the joy, the freedom, and the hope of Jesus. John, the disciple of Jesus, sums up all of Jesus' mission with one sentence. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So, Aldergrove, we're talking about the devil. How do you feel? <laughs> How are you feeling? So we say inside of ourselves, maybe it's the 21st century. We live in a secular age, and we're talking about the devil? Really? Are you serious? In today's secularism, today's topic is ridiculous, right? Evil, demons, spiritual beings that deceive. When talking about the demonic, C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, he said it best. He says, quote, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So first, first, for, for some might have... Uh, a really unhealthy interest in the demonic, right? And maybe, maybe this is you. Maybe, maybe you know someone fascinated by the demonic. But most of us would find ourselves on the opposite end of that spectrum, right? We don't, we don't have that problem. As Lewis says, we disbelieve in the existence of the devil and the demonic. And maybe we wouldn't say that out loud, but we, we live our life kind of practically disbelieving in the devil or the demonic, 
because a materialistic worldview has been gifted to us. Materialism is the philosophy that, or the doctrine that kind of all there is is matter. This right here, right? This here, the things that you can see and touch. Matter is all there is. Anything beyond what you can see and touch is a figment of the imagination. Well, is that true? Is that true? Some of you know the story of General Romeo Dallaire, who is a Canadian who was appointed force commander of the UN mission to Rwanda in the 1994 genocide. And he wrote a book called Shake Hands with the Devil. And some of you are familiar with this true story that General Dallaire, along with a small contingent of Ghanaian and Tunisian soldiers and military observers, disobeyed the command to withdraw from Rwanda and remained in Rwanda to fulfill their ethical obligation to protect those who sought refuge with the UN forces. And in his book about his experience in Rwanda in 94, he wrote this, quote, I know there's a God because in Rwanda I shook hands with the devil. I've seen him. I've smelled him. And I've touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore I know there is a God. Now, these are my words here, but Romeo Dallaire seems to have had such a close encounter with evil that he could no longer be a materialist alone, right? And many of us in the room have experienced evil. Whether it's learning about the evils of the Holocaust or genocide or war, Is this all just human choice? Or is there a presence of evil behind all of this? Or whether it's witnessing the evil of something like the pornography industry, or the evil behind human trafficking. There's this systemic evil at work. Many of us have experienced evil personally, right? So the lies that have shaped us, the lies that have condemned us, the justice that was kept from us, the hatred and vitriol from another, or even the personal presence of darkness around us. And some of you may have had an experience like this. For instance, an example is the inability to move in our sleep with the dark presence of something in our room. That's a common experience for many. If we're honest, we've experienced evil personally. Good news, John says. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Good news, James says. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Good news, Jesus says. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I I want to tell you, the next six weeks should feel like good news. I've been asked, a couple people have said, this feels like it could be a very dark series. And I'd like to say, I hope it's the opposite. I hope it's a series of joy and of victory and of healing and of freedom and of hope, right? Because we're going to be talking about the ways in which Jesus delivers us from evil, the way Jesus delivers us out of darkness. I, I hope this series... Um, is something where we experience in the words of Bruce Coburn, where Jesus is going to, quote, kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. So let's take Jesus seriously. For the next six weeks, let's, let's, let's take him seriously. And I want to ask, do you believe that Jesus is the smartest person who has ever lived? 
Many of us will say he's king, he's lord, he's savior, he's God, right? Those come easily from our lips. But do you ever think he's smart? That he's smart. He's the smartest person who has ever lived. If so, when Jesus describes the world to his followers, he is clear that there are spiritual beings that are set on working against God's good purposes in the world. When Jesus saw the world, he saw there were spiritual beings that were set on working against God's good purposes in the world. One of the reasons why I want to do this series is, um, and and why all of our campuses are, are, are leaning into this series, is because when I'm in dialogue with a fellow Christians, and even in my own life, I do this all the time, a similar problem arises. I encounter some kind of difficulty, and I say, here's what I say, why is God doing this to me? Right? It's often one of the first things that actually comes to my mind. Why is God doing this to me? Now, because in my worldview, I believe it's just me and God. There's two parties here. There's only two characters in my story, me and God. And so if something's not going well, and I didn't do it to myself, then I'm like, come on, right? God, you must be the one to blame. And then I'm so mad at God, right? I'm frustrated with God. But can can we just pause for a second? I want to show you the devil's job description. Listen to this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Okay, so if I feel like something has been stolen, put to death, or destroyed in my life, it's probably good that I I at least pause for a minute and say, oh right, there's a third character in the story. There's God. There's me, but there is a third character whose literal job description is to steal, kill, and destroy. So if something's being stolen or put to death or destroyed, as an apprentice of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, I need to just pause and go, hmm, am I blaming the right party for this? For whatever it is that's going on, am I blaming the right party? I sure hope I don't start blaming God for something that's on the enemy's job description. And this is, this is the hope as we walk through this, that we're, we come to understand what is the voice of accusation, the voice of condemnation that comes from the enemy, and what is the voice of the Father who loves you, who loves you deeply, and wants to give you life. So this is very practical. I hope this series is very practical as we think about this thief who really wants to steal, kill, and destroy Did you know Jesus had a training school? He had a school. And it was a training school. It was a discipleship school. It was a school, apprenticeship, where a group of people learned to follow Jesus, to watch how he lived, and to start to duplicate that, to actually live it out themselves. And as this little school gathered around Jesus, some of you know, there's a close three, Peter, James, and John. Then there was a wider group of 12. And then there was a a wider group of 72. And beyond the 72, there were hundreds that were following him. But I want you to listen to him 
teach his followers how to kick at the darkness until it bled daylight. Listen to this. Listen to Luke 10. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. It's a great school to be a part of, lambs among wolves, right? So everyone wants to sign up for this. So these disciples, these students, these followers, these apprentices, they went out. They went out town to town, two by two, uh, mostly across Galilee. They went ac- across Galilee. And by the way, Galilee, come on, where's Josh? There he is. Just so you know, Josh was just in Israel, and we're grateful that you're back safe. And uh, yeah, can we, so grateful. And I know there was so much going on, and you have a very big story to share, but how cool that you were walking where this... You didn't make it to Galilee, you were just in Jerusalem. Okay, okay, well, that's good too. That's good too. That's good. Yeah. Um, but so, so glad you're back safe. But, but this is... So... so he sends them out across Galilee two by two, and they were learning to free others from darkness, freeing other people from bondage. They had watched Jesus, and then they wanted to, to, to follow and do the same. And, and listen to this. They come back. So Jesus sends them out on, on a homework assignment, as it were, and they come back, and listen to what they say. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Okay, this is a wild verse. Okay, so notice what he says to his disciples. He says, uh, his disciples say this, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So they come back to Jesus and they're like, whoa, your name is like, that's powerful, right? We just like uttered your name and they were like, we're running. That's, that's what they sound like. They sound like cats. Like step on their tails like, Wah! They They fled. Like we used your name and they were gone. And whoa, right? So what is this about Jesus and his name? And this is one of the things in this series we'll pick up is that the name of Jesus is powerful. Whenever you encounter darkness, to, you speak the name of Jesus, which is higher than any other spiritual being, right? And, and they flee. So name. And, and, and so... And Jesus says, I have given you authority. So, so Aldergrove, you're, you're a disciple of Jesus. As you follow Jesus, you've been given authority in the spiritual realm, right? To be able to, be able to say, in the name of Jesus, right? So you, you have authority. And then to do what? Well, he says to trample on snakes. Man, what is that about? Right? Trampling on snakes, that's weird. Well, it's a hyperlink. A hyperlink to Genesis Three, And it's, if you'll remember back in the Garden of Eden that there was just this serpent that had deceived the first people into sin, right? But there was this prophecy of this child that would come one day and crush the head of the serpent. And so that's Jesus. And Jesus' followers are also crushing heads of serpents, as it were, right? It's a, it's a powerful connection to Genesis 3 here. And then uh, nothing will harm you. Did you see that in the passage? Nothing will harm you. Nothing's going to harm you in the spiritual realm because you're in me and I'm in you, says Jesus. You're safe. You have authority. You're only safe. Safe is just like, I'm safe, right? It's like you have authority. You can actually like lean into this stuff with a lot of authority in my name. Not your own name, in in my name. 
It's beautiful. This is the school that Jesus, you know, uh, took his followers into to teach them, educate them, train them. And so we want to be an apprentice of Jesus. And we want to come to understand the enemy. And the scriptures describe an axis of evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Three parts of this kind of axis of evil are found in Ephesians 2, where Paul writes this. And as I read this, try to find the world, the flesh, and the devil uh, in in this paragraph. He writes this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So notice the world, the flesh, and the devil. So uh, what are these three categories about? Well, the world is simply... The evil around us, the kind of the evil that we've created, we could call them systems of sin, ways in which the world is moving against the ways of God. So low-hanging fruit examples would be, like I mentioned earlier, the pornography industry or racism, just all forms of injustice. It moves against the grain of God's heart for the world. Now, what's the flesh? Well, the flesh are like... It's not the body that you've been getting. This is, God loves you, created you. You're fearfully, wonderfully made. But it's the flesh or the evil desires within us, these desires that lead to death. And I think every one of us in the room, we just go, yeah, I've had those. These desires within us that lead to death. And the third category is the devil, this evil being in direct opposition to God and his love for the world. So the world, the flesh, and the devil And this triple alliance of the world, the flesh, and the devil is important to understand. But it's also important for us to see how the devil works. And actually, today and next Sunday, uh, Kevin is going to go deep into this next Sunday. But what we want to do is we want to understand how the enemy works. Um, Not because we're interested in him, but because what we do is like when we're playing, um, and I think Kevin will expand on this next week, but like when, when it's fall, and fall means football right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. So fall means football. So uh, when you study your opponent, what do football teams do? They, they, They watch a lot of tape, right? They watch a lot of film during the week because they're studying the enemy. They're studying the opponent, as it were, the enemy. Anyway, whatever. Uh, The, 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 the opponent, the opponent. Um, And so anyway, so studying, okay, so this is what they do when they call this play and this is how they run those plays. And and so you're just studying, you're watching the film. That's what we're doing. We're watching the film, and we're going, ah, okay, yeah, so this is not going to surprise me next time this happens, right? Because oftentimes, the way the enemy works, we're, we're caught off guard, right? We're surprised. We're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. And the more we apprentice under Jesus, we follow Jesus, we start to go, oh, yeah, I see that coming a mile away, right? I see his tactics. So we want to understand that. And, and, and here's, here's the deal. What we're going to find in the next few weeks is that the devil is a deceiver, Right. We, we, we quickly in our minds go to like movies like The Exorcist or something like that when we have series like this. But I, I'd encourage you to actually see that this is, not a, this is not a firm statistic, but I'm just saying it feels like 99% of the time what he's going to do is he's going to traffic in lies. Lies. He uses lies. He's a deceiver. And if you go back to Genesis 3, think about the very first moment when Eve is deceived. God had given 
her and Adam all the trees of the garden to enjoy. And actually to enjoy fully. God had said just fully enjoy it, freely enjoy it. And the enemy as a serpent character comes to Eve and says, did God really say? Like dot, dot, dot. Just puts a little seed of doubt in your mind. Are you sure he has your best in mind? Are you sure he's for you and wants life for you? I think God's maybe holding out on you. I think God's keeping back uh, purpose, pleasure, fulfillment, life from you. It's a little seed, right? Did God really say? That's how the enemy operates. It's a seed of doubt, right? A deceiver. And, and, and the deceiver plants the seed of an idea that God's ways are not for our best. And then once we sin, once we sin, he's an accuser. He's an accuser. This is the word Satan. Satan is not a name for this spiritual being. It's a, it's a title. And so he's actually called, so Satan, Hasatan in Hebrew, it's the accuser, the accuser. This is what he does. And in Greek, it's devil, uh, which comes from the Greek word diabolos, which means slanderer, slanderer. So uh, the devil, diabolos, he's a slanderer. Hasatan, he's the accuser. So he's an accuser and a slanderer. So, so just watch what he does. He deceives us, then he accuses us, slanders us, and is quick to condemn us. This is what he does. He says, hey, Matthew, it's really fun to break the rules. Try it. I think God's, God doesn't have your best. Right? He's holding out on you. It's fun. Try it. Then once I break the rules, then he exposes the law to me. And says, look, you lawbreaker, you're a worthless human being. That's what he does. It's so cruel. It's so deceptive. Right? Is it, how, how does Satan use God's law? Exactly like that. He knows the law. He knows the truth. So he'll, he'll lead us on, right? And he'll make the law vague. Well, maybe God didn't really say that that wasn't, you know, or maybe that is allowed. And he makes kind of, he creates vagueness, right? And temptation. And as we're tempted, boom, when we take the fruit, when we fall into temptation, then all of a sudden, it's law. It's like, look at this, you rule breaker, worthless rule breaker. See how cruel that is? It's terrible. But did I mention this is a good news series? This is about good news, okay? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus is, is our victory. And we want to go to the cross. We're on the cross. Jesus' arms are stretched wide. And he's pierced for our transgressions and he's crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we're healed. How is that? Well, in Latin, we use the phrase Christus Victor, Christ our Victor. We're on the cross. He says, it is finished. What's finished? Well, just so you know, don't have time for another hour-long sermon on something different. All kinds of things are finished. All kinds of things are fulfilled in the moment at the cross when he gives up his life, right? But one of those things is that he destroys the enemy, right? He, is, he has destroyed the enemy. Listen to Colossians 2. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So your enemy stood armed. And what does Jesus do at the cross? He disarms the enemy. So the war is over. Christ our victor. And the devil now stands in a losing position. 
Why? Because you have been cleansed of sin. And because three days later he rose from the dead, death has no power over you anymore. So you stand in a place of victory. One of the images I love, um, and uh, uh, this is not my notes, or this, okay, I'm ruining my notes here, but here's the deal. This, This is you, this is you. Let's say the Bible is Christ. That's not true, but I'm just, this is the visual. So, so here's the, look at this. You are in Christ. Now, now what happens to Christ happens to you. Well, what, what happened? Jesus um, suffered on the cross. So what do we say? I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And then when Christ rose from the dead, you rose from the dead, right? You were given life. Why? Because you are in Christ, Right? That is your position, and it's Jesus that has all authority over heaven and earth. And so you have been positioned in Christ. Therefore, the enemy cannot touch you. You are saved. You have this position in Christ. You have been raised from the dead. Every time baptism is to go under the waters, come out of the waters, new in Christ, right? And so you are in Christ. At any point, you can say, amen. Okay, there we go. I don't know if you say amen at Aldergrove, but you're welcome to say it. Okay. Now, so when you and I pray then, we pray against the devil and and darkness, against evil and darkness. Uh, Pete Gregg says, quote, we pray from a place of victory and joy. That's how you are praying from a position of victory and joy because you're in Christ. Now, some of you are like, hey, clue to Matthew, like things are not actually going well in the world if you turn on the news, right? Or look at my life and my relationships, or if you actually looked at my heart and my mind and what I'm thinking about. And so you're like, well, it seems like the battle continues. And, and here's an image that I found really helpful. The war was won at the cross. But right now, we live in an already not yet where a battle continues. And it's not about ultimate defeat. No, the devil has been ultimately defeated. But we live in this gap where Jesus already won the war. But this battle continues until Jesus returned. And in this already not yet phase, we're still going through hard times. The devil absolutely wants to hurt, steal, kill, and destroy as much as he can. But he's, he has been defeated, right? But how does this work? Well, for those of you who play chess, um, I want to share an image which has been very helpful for me. Uh, if you don't play chess, you're at a loss. You're not going to understand anything I'm about to say. You should go <laughs> learn chess so you can understand this image. Okay, so when you place your opponent in checkmate, right? It means your king is, is trapped, right? Your king either can't move. Every move he makes is going to be into a place of death. He'll get captured. Um, and so he's absolutely cornered. Checkmate, right? Now, here's the deal. Those of you who play chess, you know it's kind of a gentleman's game. And once, once the king is cornered, you just kind of, you know, you just kind of topple the, you know, put the king down. The game's over. It's a gentleman's game. But technically, those of you who are chess players, you know there's actually... Your king could do like one more kind of almost like suicidal move, right? Like you'd be like, nah, I'll just go ahead and kill that queen, knowing that he's going to get killed, right? Or I'll just move to that spot, knowing that he's going to get killed. See, this final little move that we never play in chess, that final move is the move that Satan is making today. It's, it's, the game's already done. It's checkmate. But that final little move is one of just destruction. He's going to destroy as much as he can, in the, in the limited time, but the game is over. Is this making sense? Okay. Anyway, go figure out chess. Go learn it, and you will appreciate this. So, 
So in that place of victory, um, Jesus shows us how to pray. And he says this, Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we're praying, this is the title of our series, Deliver Us from the Evil One. And I want to show you the way Jesus works. In Luke 4, I want to show this to you, verse 31 to 37, we read an amazing story with Jesus. Luke 4, 31. Then he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are. With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Now, notice the demon is a good theologian. Okay? Look at verse 34. It says, what do you want with us? He says, go away. What do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Whoa. Okay, so when you read the New Testament, you find a lot of people who aren't sure who Jesus is, right? They're interacting with Jesus. They're really not sure who he is. Is he just a rabbi, a good teacher? Is this the king, the Messiah? Like, who is this? And we get absolute clarity to who Jesus is from the demon, right? He's a good theologian. These dark spirits know exactly who Jesus is. They know their theology. Listen to James, the younger brother of Jesus. He writes this. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's a good theology, perfect theology doesn't make us a follower of Jesus. Right? Many of us have grown up in the church. We know what it's like to know a lot about the Bible, but to have a heart that is not set free and to, and to make choices that are not in obedience to Jesus. So knowing a lot about the Bible or a lot about Jesus is not the point. It's good. It's really good. We should all keep learning and growing. But discipleship, to be an apprentice of Jesus, a follower, a Christian, is this whole life thing. It's a whole life thing. But I want you to just notice the demon's confession again. He says, Jesus of Nazareth is the Holy One of God. What is he doing? He's making the ancient confession of the church that Jesus is true God and true man, fully God, fully man. Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. And then I love the question. The demon, the demon says, have you come to destroy us? And the answer is yes. We are here to destroy. Jesus is here to destroy you. Just notice, this is not like yin-yang. This is not like um, 50-50. This battle is not like, oh, I'm wondering who's going to have the, you know, what the outcome is going to look like. Not at all. When you watch the demonic interact with Jesus, they are always afraid. Just Remember that. They're always afraid. This is, this is not 50-50. So have you come to destroy us? Yes. And this is love. This is love. This is Jesus loving this man in this synagogue. He's going to set him free. Right? This is what rescue looks like. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And Jesus with this man is going to set him free. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, verse 35, be quiet, Jesus says sternly. Come out of him. 
Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are with authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out, right? So Jesus is all about freedom. He removes the darkness without injuring the man. That's hard to do, right? And look, he uses authority for the good of the other. He says, come out of him. You know what Jesus is doing? He is a new Moses here. Moses stood before Pharaoh. Some of you know this story. If you're new to Jesus, there's a story of the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt. And uh, the, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, had kept them in slavery. And so God used a man named Moses to, to, to speak to the authorities and the powers and say, uh, let my people go, Right? Let my people go. And there was a power confrontation. Some of you know the story, right? That all of a sudden there were the, the gods of Egypt versus the God of the universe, right? Yahweh, right? And it was a confrontation. And some of you know this little nerdy fact, but that all the plagues of Egypt are connected to the gods of Egypt. So this is like 10 plagues where God is just like humiliating the dark powers, right? Or, or dark forces, and then he rescues his children out of slavery. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus shows up as a new Moses, ready to set peace. He says, let my people go. And he frees his children. It's all about freedom. So how do we get to this point in life where we're so tormented by darkness? How do we get to this point? How, do we get, how does somebody get to the point where they're a slave to a dark power that controls them? Well... I'd, I'd like to use the image of handing the keys of your house to somebody, right? Kind of giving them the keys of your house. So if I ask you the question, who has the keys to your mind, to your heart, to your will, your emotions, your habits, the dynamic within your relationships? This is handing over the keys, the authority of your life, to something else. Now, this can happen directly or indirectly. Now, directly. Um, I want to ask you, have you opened up your life to other spirits? This one may not resonate with everyone in the room, but I, I need to ask it. The second one will resonate with everyone in the room, right? Indirectly opening up our life, but directly. In, in the world that we live in, um, there are some common ways in which we open up our life to uh, spirits that do not have our good in mind, that are not here to give us life. One way of figuring this out is thinking about our involvement in things like the occult and Ouija boards, card reading, palm reading, horoscopes. And uh, maybe, maybe it's more helpful to ask a general question. Have you opened up your life in any supernatural way or spiritual way, to anything that excludes the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you, you just know. You, when you think back, you go, yeah, I actually was very open um, to some other spirits. And just so you know, if you have done that, this is not the moment for condemnation or accusation. There's someone who is ready to accuse you. And it's, it's not Christians. It's not Jesus, right? So this is not a moment of accusation. If you've opened up your heart to any other spirits, we, we, we are simply reminded that these spirits do not have our good in mind. And I just want to uh, offer just a simple turning to Jesus. That's all it is. We turn to Jesus, whose name is more powerful. We turn away from some of those things. We walk through healing from some of those things. We have a course at our church called Freedom Session, which 
allows us, it's at the Walnut Grove campus, but you take freedom session, you walk through, turning away from some of that stuff. Now, and some of you are like, why? Why, why are some of those things dangerous? Well, here's the deal. I think um, God encourages us not to uh, be in communication with any other spirit that's not him, right? Because he's given us the Holy Spirit, right? Fills us, says, I want to know, I want to talk to you. I want your mind to be filled with my truth, right? And sometimes when we open up thinking that maybe we're even talking to a deceased loved one, you say, actually, I'm in communication with a loved one who passed away. The problem is you don't know that to be true. You don't know who's on the other end of that phone call. Is that, is that really your deceased loved one? Or is, or is that actually a spiritual being that is not willing your good? And so that's why we stay away from that. And, and, and we pray, we pray to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. That's, that's what we've been invited to do, is to, is to pray to Him. And so again, the solution is simple. We turn. That just means repent. Repenting is turning. We turn away. We get rid of that stuff from our life. Um, and we say, we don't want to be involved in any of that anymore. And, and we receive prayer as we walk in freedom. Now, what about indirectly? How do I give the keys to my house, of my house, that authority to, to the darkness indirectly? Well, um, it, it, I, I, I want to I use the image of human trafficking. And, and I think this, hopefully this will be helpful. Uh, the International Justice Mission, IJM, um, describes how people become slaves today. And they become slaves through what's called false debts. Some of you are familiar with this, false debts. So what will happen is a poor family is approached. Um, and some of the stories I read, this happened in India, where a family, a poor family is approached or a poor child is approached who's begging on the street. And what the slave owner will do will offer a small uh, advance payment uh, for them to come have a job. So this poor person suddenly goes, oh, like, I get some cash up front and a job. This is amazing, right? And so either the person goes individually or they bring their family and they move far out of town to a factory and they're given a job. But the problem is, is that this instantly traps a family, right? Because the owner ensures that it's impossible for the slave ever to repay the advance payment right? Because they inflate the debt owed with exorbitant interest charges, and the slave is never able to earn enough to pay back the debt. So they are caught in a multi-generational scheme uh, of slavery. It's terrible. And this is happening all over the world today. But now, let's go to the spiritual realm, right? This happens in a spiritual way. So I, we give authority to certain things in our life, and they begin to take control of us, Right? So I receive a very tasty or first advance payment from something. And then all of a sudden, once this thing has me, right, I cannot get free. I cannot, and I'm crushed under the debt that I owe as this thing continues to grow and the interest continues to grow in the spiritual realm, as it were. And I love how Nikki White, Nikki White leads our prayer ministries at our, at our campuses, um, all of our prayer training, and she wrote this. She wrote this. She said, Quote, we're offered one truly free choice, a choice of masters. If we turn away from God, we may think that we're choosing self-determination, but we're actually turning ourselves over to the malignant ruler of a broken world. Under his thumb, we lose our freedom, including the freedom to think our own thoughts clearly. 
for he's a cruel and vicious taskmaster, intent upon the destruction of our souls. It's only when we yield ourselves to a good and wise father that we find true freedom. I love that quote, you know? And so I want to ask, where have you given yourself over to something? And now, if you're honest, you would say, yeah, that thought pattern, that habit, it now owns me. See, I thought I, I, thought I had control over, over how I thought about that person, over some of my behavior, but I actually find that it controls me. And it's a slavery. It's a version of slavery that you're in. One, one of the biggest examples of this is, is bitterness. Bitterness is, is um, the, one of the uh, chief ways in which the enemy of our soul has us trapped. Because bitterness feels good at the start. It feels so good. Why does it feel good at the start? Because it feels like justice. Can you guys just in your mind, just think about that. That moment that you become bitter towards someone, it's like, yeah, yeah, the whole world may have forgotten what you've done, but I hold this against you. And it's like, I may not get justice in the courts, or I may not get justice in the, you know, the group of our friends or whatever, but like, I'm going to hold this against you. And it feels right. It feels right. And all of a sudden, we take that advance payment, and then we, are, then we become addicted to that bitterness. We're stuck in that pattern of bitterness. And how, do we see, how are we set free from that? And this, this happens. This happens with alcohol. It happens with pornography. It happens as we dream of revenge, um, as we chase a certain image of what, of, of what we are called to look like, the beauty that we're supposed to have, um, you know, flirting with someone who's not our spouse, uh, how we spend money, um, our, our cynicism, our sarcasm, uh, the anger in our heart. I mean, you know, we could spend hours looking at those examples. But something felt good at the start, and now we're slaves. Now we're slaves. And we've given the keys of our house to another spirit who does not have our good in mind. And the deeper we go, we can't see it in ourselves anymore because we're calloused. You know, like the, ca- the calluses, you can't feel it anymore. And that's, a, that's where we're really in danger. Well, what does that look like? Well, this is, the, this is the man who cheats on his wife and justifies it. He used to not justify it. He used to be horrified at, what, at his actions. But now he justifies it. It's the employee who believes that the, ethic, the unethical practice is now okay, actually, to do. Because they've been doing it for so long, they're calloused. It's the person who justifies their hate for a family member. You know, For a while, it felt wrong, it felt awkward to not like this family member, but then as the years go on, it's just like, well, yeah, of course. You know what they've done to me? And it justifies the hate. Or the student who justifies cheating for some greater good in their mind. Or the parent who speaks the same identity-crushing comments to their children that their, spa- their parents spoke to them. Right? It's a cycle, and we're trapped. How did that happen? Slowly, slowly, we gave the keys of our house to someone who d- does not w- desire our good. N.T. Wright writes this. He says, quote, When human beings worship that which is not God, they give authority to forces of destruction and malevolence, and those forces gain a power. They gain a power. So what has a hold on your heart? Directly or indirectly? 
What have we opened up our life to that now seeks to control us? Again, did I, did I mention this is about the good news? Did I mention this is about good news? Let me tell you the good news. So the good news, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, right? This is a series about freedom and hope. The gospel, Christ is victor, it is finished. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The war is over. Yes, a battle continues, but Christ is victorious. And you are in Christ. And the best way out of slavery is to do the bread and butter work, the daily discipleship work of confession and of prayer and of repentance. Could I encourage you that for the next six weeks, your small group will become very precious to you. Um, Your apprentice group, these are groups of three or four people, same gender, who are just praying for each other, or your life group, or your Christian friend, or your Christian mentor, whoever it is, these are going to be precious people to you. As, As you and I begin to say out loud, bring into the light some of the ways we feel like we're trapped and the enemy is trapping us and then we pray for one another and I want to let you know that can start even today Um, so we'll have prayer ministry right here on the sides we'll have a prayer room in the back that our prayer team is ready to pray to pray for freedom for you and to see the victory of Christ applied to you that you would be released from that slavery released from that lie healed from that bitterness and given freedom and, and, and deep within you, if there's a sense within you that you're like, yes, I need hope. I need freedom. I need to be released from this. Would you go for prayer? Would you approach those? Or even today, like right now, as the worship team comes up in a second, they're going to be leading us. You can turn to the person that you love or a person who you're friends with and receive prayer, that this would become a prayer room as well. And uh, feel free to sing, but also to pray for one another. I'd love for us to stand together. And I'd love to invite the worship team up. Because we pray this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so if you will, would you pray with me? Father God, to you belongs a victory. To you belongs all hope, all freedom, all mercy, all grace, all love. And we pray right now that you would fill this room with your love. This is all about your love coming to set your children free. And right now, we just say that you have authority in this place. You have authority over this Alder Grove campus. You have authority over the lives of my friends in this room. So would you take full authority, Lord Jesus, and would you destroy the work of the enemy? And would you set your children free? And Lord, I pray that it would begin even right now as we sing these songs to you, as we receive prayer, we pray your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in our lives as it is in heaven, and we pray that you would deliver us from the evil one, because we believe that if the Son sets us free, we'll be free indeed. Aldergrove, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Let's worship.